Hello and welcome to the Green Canary. Today on the pod, we're going to be talking about the great emissions reduction bill that might pass through Parliament next week. We're going to talk about what we need for that to happen. We're also going to talk about a whole lot of crazy natural events that are happening out there in the world. There's a heat wave in the UK. There was an unbelievable avalanche, which kind of went viral that we need to talk about. And of course, we'll talk about a furry or at least a feathery creature or two. We'll talk about mallee fowls. Actually, there is a furry creature in there. We'll have a chat about gliders. Oh, there's a whole lot more on the pod today. I'm Ant Sharwood. I'm back from the snow. I'm sad about that, but I'm thrilled to be back and ripping into the Green Canary. And I'm always thrilled to be with Elfie Scott. We're not actually together today in the studio. Elfie is in Canberra. I believe you might be plotting a secret uh, thing against the government, Elfie, or perhaps you're just visiting <laughs> friends. What exactly is going on? And I am not plotting anything against the government. I just okay. happen to be in the same city. <laughs> I'm just sitting here in a sunny house in Canberra having a good time. It's nice. It's good to visit our nation's capital, I got to say. (laughs) I'm a Canberran myself, so I'm not averse to the old uh, bearer, as we call it. There is uh, no way that is what you call it if you're a local from Canberra. That is not true, is it? You call it the bearer. Oh, it's the bearer. Oh, wow. Okay, learning something new every day. I happen to be in the city. I don't know anything about its culture. Heading down to the bearer, hashtag CBR will also do nicely. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, let's move into the news, shall we? So we don't keep exposing how little we know about Canberra and very dorky sort of references to it. Anyway, let's talk about heat waves, shall we, Ant? Because this week, the UK is experiencing a massive heat wave, and there's a possibility. We don't know for sure yet, but it has been um, predicted that they're going to see their first 40 degree day, uh, which would be a record setting temperature. The current record was set back in 2019 at 38.7 degrees, but the government is basically expecting that it's going to far surpass that. Uh, They've issued its first red extreme heat warning for this week. And the country is also unfortunately expecting to see heat related deaths and illness over the next few days. And what is going on in the UK? Why is it so hot? Um, this all started as hot weather normally does, just just as our hottest spells in, in southern Australia come from weather that comes from central Australia and you get a strong northerly and it pushes all the hot weather down. Um, the reverse happens in the UK. Occasionally, you'll get some hot winds through Africa, from Africa, sorry. They'll go all the way through Spain and Portugal, where, believe it or not, they've seen 45 degrees this week in places like wow. Sevilla. Sevilla, um, you know, spelt Seville, but Sevilla has been having, you have to say, some severe weather. Oh, God. And why that's, that's today's pun it's out of the way early we can get on Thank with the podcast now we can get on right. with the podcast. so look there are meteorological reasons why you'll occasionally get hottish weather in the uk but i remember when i was a kid the england record for a long time was 36 degrees uh then it was 37 then it was 38.7 which you mentioned that was in cambridge in 2019 the london record was 37.8 that was in the same hot spell i believe three years ago they are now talking 38s and 39s and their Met Office, which is their equivalent of our Bureau of Meteorology, has tipped a 50% chance of a 40 degree day somewhere in Britain. Now, Mm. 
This is a climate-related thing. Unquestionably, you're seeing the margins being pushed and pushed. And what I found fascinating, Elfie, this week was that the Met Office did put climate in its communications. Now, our Bureau does issue climate statements. They do talk about climate change. But when they do public videos, like the one I saw this week from the Met Office, they don't do it as in as sort of forthright or direct a manner as the Met Office did. The Met yeah. Office actually said extreme UK temperatures of 40 degrees C or higher are now 10 times more likely under the current climate than what they called the natural climate. So yeah, they, wow. And they clarified that saying, so they're 10 times more likely under a climate that hasn't been affected by human influence. So there is a direct link established by the Met Office in the UK to the current heat wave, which is really starting off today, um, being Monday, and will peak on Tuesday UK time. Sure. Okay. And I mean, when you speak about the Met Office, we're speaking about uh, a body that is equivalent to our bomb here yeah. in Australia, Bureau of Meteorology. And something that you pointed out that I thought was really interesting was that the bomb has been really reticent in the past here to say that anything is related to do to climate change. And you actually showed me a video this week of two forecasters from the bomb discussing extreme heat and fires. This was in the run up to the Black Summer. It was in around spring before uh, those spires hit Australia. And without once mentioning climate change, these two forecasters are talking about how it's becoming drier and how it's becoming hotter. And it seems like a really glaring emission. If we could just listen to like a section of that video, which I found a bit interesting, talking about how the climate is changing, but without saying climate change. We've certainly seen a very hot and a very warm year to date. In terms of rainfall, in actual fact, this is the map for January to October. It's actually been the second driest January to October period on record, second only to the Federation drought of 1902. And unfortunately, that's been compounded by the fact that we've had a very warm year to date. In actual fact, the January to October period has been the warmest or the hottest January to October period on record. And of course, yeah, so the video goes on like that, saying things like, it's unprecedented, these are record temperatures, and yet not once actually indicating the general trend. Yeah, and indeed that summer went on to be the hottest summer on record, and certainly January was the hottest month on record. So, um, look, I'm not calling, I'm not saying that our bomb does no climate communication. I'm saying that Britain's Met Office does it a whole lot better and a whole lot more obviously for the average consumer who's likely to see their products in in sort of uh, videos like that that are made mm. for the public. Yeah, sure. All right. Well, speaking of warming temperatures, let's talk about a viral avalanche video that came out this week, I believe. So the viral video was captured by a British tourist, Harry Shinnan, who was on a tour through the Tian Shan Mountains in Kyrgyzstan. Uh, that's actually the sixth highest mountain range in the world. I noticed you popped that in the notes. Very good trivia. <laughs> um, so he was with a group of British and American travellers. They heard the sound of deep ice cracking while they were hiking. And it turned out to be this ancient glacier just splitting apart above them and rushing towards them. And have you seen this video? The video is incredible, Elfie. The video is mind-blowing. It's, it's, it's not just a, a glacier. We've all seen those sort of walls of ice falling off and, you know, there's this vast wall of ice behind it. This is the whole glacier just goes, doesn't it? <laughs> 
Yeah, it's so wild. And, you know, the person who was filming, Harry, is just standing there with his phone. Obviously, it's from his perspective, but you can just see this wall of ice rushing towards him. Um, By some bizarre miracle, these tourists were unharmed. Uh, But I just wanted to point out an article that was published in the Sydney Morning Herald by Laura Chung, who I feel does consistently great environmental reporting. And she took the video as an opportunity to talk about the impact that a warming climate is having on glaciers and sea ice. Uh, So the Kyrgyzstan glacier that we saw falling apart was the second glacial collapse in a week. And she began talking about, you know, uh, Antarctic ice and how that had been at a record low last month as well. And the article also talks about how how Antarctica has lost three trillion tonnes of ice since the early 90s and how we're on track to see the worst case scenarios of sea ice melting and glaciers melting uh, as predicted by the IPCC. So yeah, it's a really interesting opportunity to talk about these sort of ramifications around the world of a uh, warming climate, right, Anne? Well, you know, we know that Antarctic ice has its own problems because it causes sea level rise. Um, not so Arctic ice because it floats on the ocean and so it's part of the uh, sea level anyway. But Antarctic ice is ice that is on land moving into the sea when it melts, raising the sea level. This is a different issue. These are glaciers in areas that f- that feed the great rivers of Asia, the Indian rivers, the Chinese rivers. Um, these are rivers that literally... Uh, billions of people rely on for water and when you start losing glaciers in the mountain regions at the head of the little streams that become the great rivers you lose the all round the year round sorry uh, surety of water flow into the great rivers the water wars are going to be one of the big uh, geopolitical flashpoints of this century as we move through it and this is a little snapshot of what's to come that will cause much bigger problems down the track. Yeah, wow. I think that is such a poignant and awful reminder. Uh, So thank you for that, but I still think it's really important to talk about, obviously. All right, let's talk about the emissions reduction bill. What's going on? (laughs) Well, look, Parliament resumes next week. Um, Labor is going to try and get its 43% uh, that it took to the election. Uh, That is reduction in the... Uh, 2005 level of emissions, 43% reduction in that by 2030. They're going to try and get that through Parliament. It ain't going to be easy. The Teals and the Greens and possibly David Pocock, uh, one or two of the independents, are going to say, oi, we want more. We want, you know, everyone knows that that places like the EU are, are talking about 55%. Mm. Um, why only 43? Labor's saying, well, we took 43 to the election. And it is a floor, not a ceiling. We're going to hear floor, not a ceiling a lot. So yeah. floor, not a ceiling. Get used to it. Um, <laughs> and and I, I, I guess uh, we can talk more about it in a sec, but why don't we listen to this week's interview? Uh, it's with Gavin McFadgen, who, who is the uh, Program Manager of Climate and Energy at the Australian Conservation Foundation. And actually, we heard from Gavin a few weeks ago. He was talking about their legal action up in... Um, WA over over the proposed Scarborough gas development. But I thought we'd get Gavin's perspective because the ACF's CEO, Kelly O'Shaughnessy, was right on the front foot this morning, being, I thought, very, very pragmatic, saying, get it through, let's get it done, let's get 23% done, and we can push 
on from there. Let's not obstruct it. Let's not have 2009 all over again when the Greens absolutely did not let the then carbon pollution reduction scheme through the Senate and we ended up with nothing for 10 years. So let's hear from Gavin McFadgen uh, from the ACF. So Gavin, thank you very much for coming on the Green Canary. We saw your Australian Conservation Foundation CEO, Kelly O'Shaughnessy, uh, be very much on the front foot, be very proactive, very pragmatic, you might say, uh, in saying, and, and I think I'll quote her directly and then ask you to respond to this quote. Um, she said, we can lock in 43% emissions reduction now in legislation as long as that legislation allows that target to be increased over time. We need to stop arguing about a number that's relevant in eight years' time and get on with climate action today. Thus spake uh, Kelly O'Shaughnessy. What do you make of that? Well, what Kelly means is that the... Um, Australian Labor Party took to the last federal election an emissions reduction target to 2030 of 43%. And we recognise that. They got elected on that commitment and they have a mandate to apply it. But also the science tells us that 43% isn't enough and that that target will need to be increased and ratcheted up over time. And that, that'll be important because we need to see greater domestic ambition in terms of climate action. It's also because we need to get emissions from our exports down. So, because Australia is the largest exporter of liquefied natural gas and coal in the world. And our international partners will expect us to ratchet up our ambition as well. So to have a safe climate, our target needs to be well over 50%. So what Kelly's saying is, let's take the 43%, let's bank it, let's put it in legislation so it can't be unwound, but let's have a mechanism in that legislation that allows us to ratchet up that ambition over time. So that's what that quote is really saying. Understand. And that's that's well explained. Thank you. And, and do you believe that um, that will happen, that 43%, you know, everyone's talking about the floor, not the ceiling. Do you believe it really is the floor? and that we can ratchet it up and that there will be the governmental will to ratchet it up? Well, that, that's really now the critical question. Um, the um, Labor government does not need to legislate the target to deliver and implement the target. It just needs to inform um, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change that our target's increased and they have done that. They announced that about two weeks ago and we were at that announcement along with uh, other champions of business industry and the union movement and so forth. But it would be good to have it in legislation because then it enshrines the commitment of this and any future Australian government to that level of ambition. Now, whether that will get done in legislation now depends on the negotiations that Labor will be having um, with the Senate crossbench. Labor doesn't have the numbers in the Senate, it needs the support of uh, the Greens, um, David Pocock and the Jackie Lambie network if they can't get support from the Dutton opposition. So it needs to get those crossbenches on side. Um, and I know that those uh, crossbenches in particular 
the Greens um, and also I expect David Pocock will be looking to make sure that this bill includes a really clear mechanism to increase ambition over time um, on the advice of an independent climate change authority. So I think the mechanism we'll be looking for is that the Climate Change Authority which is Australia's eminent climate scientists advising the government to increase its target over time and that um, in this legislation will be built in a requirement for the climate minister to consider the advice of the Climate Change Authority and ratchet up that target um, over time. I, be- I believe Albo was, uh, you know, Prime Minister Anthony <laughs> Albanese, uh, I should say, was... was um talking numbers as high as 75% last week at the Pacific Islands Forum. Um, was he just uh, saying things that, that, that you know, Frank Bonamarama wanted to hear in Fiji or, or was he actually uh, speaking about a number that, that might actually be where we end up? Well, uh, a 75% target by 2030 is what the science says we need if we want to stay under 1.5 degree average temperature rise for a safe climate. So that's the level of ambition you want to, uh, you need to see if you want to basically guarantee a safe climate. But that's a long way from where we are right now. And the Albanese government has made no further commitment than to 43% by 2030 and has um, been quite clear that it doesn't intend to increase that target in the near term. But what we'd be looking for is that under the Paris Agreement, Governments uh, are required to bring increased ambition over time, particularly every five years. So when Australia goes to uh, coming up with a target uh, for emissions reduction for 2035 instead of 2030, that that 2035 target is a seriously ratcheting up um, of the ambition ambition we need to see to get our emissions down um, so that we can do our best efforts to ensure a safe climate for Australia and around the world. So that twenty, uh, sorry, that seventy-five percent might be more a uh, later on target, a twenty thirty-five yeah. target rather than a twenty thirty target. Uh, possibly, I'm not a mind reader for Anthony Albanese, but they're, they're the kind of that's the kind of increase in ambition we will need to see over time if we're to avoid the catastrophic consequences of climate change we're already seeing here in Australia, just with uh, the floods, uh, the bushfires, the drought and so forth, that these increasingly severe and intense and frequent weather events that are turbocharged by climate change, they're the kinds of emissions reductions we need to see if we're going to prevent that becoming commonplace uh, for Australia and countries around the world. Okay, and you used the the word catastrophic there, and this is sort of my last question. Um, We saw a catastrophic, you you might well argue, political event back in 2009 in Australia when the Rudd government failed to get its carbon pollution reduction scheme, the CPRS. They had to perform CPR on the CPRS, but it didn't help. They failed to get it through the Senate. The Greens knocked it back twice. Adam Bant's talking tough. Uh, I guess one of the things he's saying is, okay, we'll put through your 43% if you commit to no new fossil fuel projects. But of course, there are as many as 27 on the cards that may require government approval. Some of them, most of them will need state approval first. But to make a long question short, what do you think are the chances of this legislation getting through next week when Parliament resumes? 
I think they're pretty good. I think it's right for the Greens to continually raise the issue of the fact that we have blown our carbon bank. We actually, and it's not just the Greens saying this, the world's climate scientists, the International Energy Agency and other experts have said that we can't afford to be approving and building new coal and gas projects in Australia or, frankly, anywhere around the world. Simply cannot go ahead. Um, now, whether the Greens decide to hold this bill hostage in order to get that outcome is really a question for the Greens. But the Australian Conservation Foundation would urge all parties, including the Labor Party, to be constructive in considering amendments that make this bill a better bill uh, and make it a piece of legislation uh, that the Greens, uh, the so-called Teal Independents and others can support. So... Um, I think everyone needs to sit around the table. I think that the Australian public wants to see action on climate change. That was a clear um, mandate, really, from the last federal election. Um, so hopefully this parliament can be a bit more cooperative um, and achieve real results when it comes to climate action because that's just what the Australian public wants to see. It absolutely is, as evidenced by the election back in May. Gavin, thank you so much for coming on the green canary you are articulate you are thoughtful you you lay it out in a way that everyone can understand uh and we really appreciate your time thanks so that was gavin mcfadgen friend of the pod who is from the australian conservation foundation and that was a really fantastic interview and i thought that he had some really great points about how people should come to the table and negotiate on this. And, you know, I think that we've both seen a lot of Adam Bant in the media over the past couple of days sort of putting his foot down uh, and, you know, talking about potentially blocking the bill, siding with the coalition. And I wonder what you make of that. I wonder how you're feeling about, you know, uh, I think you put it this way before, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. You have referred to it as perfect being the enemy of the good uh, in the past. So I wonder how you're feeling now. Um, I'm still feeling that way, Alfie. Um, I, I feel like maybe we were beaten into submission over nine years of climate effective inaction during the previous government and we'll sort of take anything now. Um, <laughs> But that is how I'm feeling. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like, oh, my God, I've just woken up in the morning and we are about to have a higher, more ambitious climate mm. target put into the parliament. Change is happening. We are getting serious. Um, dare I say floor not ceiling. And I hope that's what it is. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling. And I think, look, Greenpeace, is, uh, Greenpeace came out saying, get it through, get it done, 43 mm -hmm. The ACF has said, get it done, put it through 43%. These are, you would argue, people on more the radical side of the spectrum yeah. than the conservative or pragmatic side of the spectrum. If they're saying get it through, the national will is to get it through, get it through. Yes, absolutely. And I 100% I agree with that at the moment. Look, I do think that, like, the Greens do have a point in the sense that Labor should have been more ambitious and maybe that is their job to hold Labor to account in these sort of scenarios. But I 100% agree. Sign the paper, get it done, and then move on and put the mechanisms in place to make sure that we get to higher targets. Well said, Elfie. And uh, let's put the mechanisms in place. That takes <laughs> us 
towards the uh, the fun end of the pod. Hey, not that the rest of the pod isn't fun. Please help us. Um, I, I, be- I, I believe we have a good time while talking about serious issues. That is the goal. But uh, the fun end, mulch. Um, actually, this is not fun at all. The great. No, I was about to say we're starting off with a sad story here, Ant. Oh, I blew. I blew that segue. That was one of my worst. Look, the greater <laughs> the greater glider. I love greater gliders. I love lesser gliders. I love all gliders. But um, how much longer will I love them for? The greater glider is endangered, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So they have officially joined the uh, federal endangered list now. Uh, so for those who don't know what a greater glider is, they essentially look like massive black possums and they've got these big white bellies. Uh, but they are threatened because of in- of habitat destruction, bushfires and climate change. Um, and look, as with so much of the news that we've spoken about around newly listed endangered species, the researchers are relieved that at least they're getting the attention um, and it's being acknowledged. But at the same time, we're really going to see need to see urgent action being taken to actually preserve their habitat and look after them into the future. So hopefully yeah. this comes with the action. It does. And uh, David Lindenmeyer is a man I greatly um, ad, you know, admire. Um, Professor David Lindenmeyer, he wrote a book last summer called The Great Forest that sold really well. Uh, about the forests in Victoria. That's really where we're talking. Um, and he said he used to take people on spotlighting tours and they go, oh, look, there's a glider, there's a glider, there's a glider. He says yeah. that does not happen anymore. Uh, oh so um, they're in trouble. And uh, as, we've, as we've discussed before on the pod, sometimes, though it's sad, uh, sometimes ramping up a, a species... Um, you know, where it sits on the endangered list can actually help it because you, you, you can actually stop some of the bad practices that have led to it being there in the first place. Yes, absolutely. All right, next piece of mulch. Uh, New South Wales and Victoria are joining hands to spend a combined $20 million on putting hydrogen refueling stations along the Hume Highway. So this is the busiest freight highway in the country. And basically these stations will service zero emissions freight trucks along that highway. Um, Matt Keane, the New South Wales Energy Minister, uh, said that this is going to drive uptake of renewable hydrogen hydrogen rather in the heavy transport sector so hopefully we're going to be seeing more zero emissions trucks in the future hope so and just 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 as a quick anecdote um i was on the hume highway on friday driving back from the victorian snowfields to sydney and um stopped at tarcutta which is a town famous for being halfway between sydney and melbourne on the hume highway and there were two ev charging stations which just filled my heart with warmth (laughs) Oh, I'm really glad, Ant. That's great to hear. Um, all right, last story, Mallee fowls. Is that how you pronounce it, a Mallee fowl? Yeah, they're a Mallee fowl and they live out in the Mallee region, which is that sort of semi-arid region between, um, you know, the grasslands of Western Victoria and New South Wales and, and, and the desert much further west. And you've sort of got the Mallee scrub. And nestling in the Mallee scrub, you will find the probably quite unimaginatively named, you'd have to say Mallee fowl, <laughs> But they're awesome creatures. They and and their mounds need. I forget the temperature, Elfie. I meant to look it up, but it's something like thirty degrees. Their mounds need to be exactly the right temperature for the wow. egg to hatch. And and they know how to put just the right amount of debris and you know, mallee and mulch. You know, in the mulch section, whatever they put on to keep the eggs just right, so that after sixty days, out pop 
beautiful, precious little Mally Fell. What's yeah. happening with Mally Fell? Sure. I mean, it's a great lesson. I mean, <laughs> that we've got a photo up on the screen now of a Mally Fell. They look somewhere between a bush jerky and a big chicken. But basically, um, new research has found the ecological importance of the Mally Fell. So I already suspect that they probably knew they were important. But basically, this study has found that Mallee fowls are what we call ecosystem engineers. They are the animals that shift around uh, plant matter to create their mounds, but they also, you know, create these rich, nutritious environments for other species. Basically, the Mallee fowl is really helping to support the environment around it. And I thought this was a bit of interesting research because, as it turns out, traditionally only mammals have been studied as these kind of eats ecosystem engineers. So the Mallee is very important apparently and it also helps to regulate the spread of wildfire in these woodlands. They're doing a good job. Shout out. Only only Mallee thought Mallee were important but it turns out they're important for all of us. Yes. Exactly. Good reminder to look after the species around us. Respect the big chickens, you know? <laughs> all right. Well, that is all we have time for on the pod today. As always, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording. That is the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and the Ngunnawal people. We'd like to pay our respect to elders past and present and acknowledge that this land was stolen, never ceded. That is very well said as ever, Alfie. And I'd also just like to say something I meant to say at the uh, top of the pod, which is thanks to you for handling the pod last week while I was oh. away. You did a fantastic job. And if you're listening to this one, you haven't caught last week's yet. Fantastic interview that uh, Elfie did with the former climate scientist, um, Sophie, what's her name? Sophie? Do- Dr. Sophie Lewis. Lewis. <laughs> Dr. Sophie Lewis, sorry. Wonderful, wonderful interview. Such an interesting woman. Um, and uh, look, I... Sophie is active on Twitter. We've been mates there for years and you should be active with us on Twitter. We are at Green Canary Pod. You should hang out with us on Instagram. We don't post photos of ourselves on beaches, like uh, which makes us, I think, the only person in the world on Instagram that doesn't do that. <laughs> I do them on my personal Instagram, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> we are at Green Canary Media there. Don't forget to sub- subscribe to our newsletter like lots of people did this week. Thank you. Uh, we are hello at thegreencanary.co. And every Wednesday, you'll get a dose of green news into your inbox. Your inbox will actually turn green. It'll just start glowing. It'll be magic. <laughs> That's what happens every week. And we shall see you next week. Bye. Bye.